Hi, I'm Deborah Holchip, editor of Michigan Today. In this episode of Listen in Michigan, my guest is Ken Fisher, President Emeritus of the University Musical Society at the University of Michigan, UMS. From 1987 to 2017, Ken was president of the organization. So just think of how many UMS shows you may have enjoyed dating back to 1987. I mean, it could have been a performance by the Berlin Philharmonic or the New York Phil on the field at Michigan Stadium. You might have seen it Zach Perlman or Audra McDonald or the Italian soprano Cecilia Bartoli. You may have discovered artists like Wynton Marcellus and Nusrat Fatah Ali Khan. You've enjoyed Jesse Norman and Yo-Yo Ma. I mean, you've likely seen dance, theater, world-renowned orchestras. You have stories to tell about the impeccable sound in Hill Auditorium or the Royal Shakespeare Company commanding the Power Center. So imagine the stories Ken has to tell. He manages his relationships the way a conductor moves an orchestra. Every player, every talent, every contribution is connected to another, and another, and another. Each story Ken tells is peppered with serendipitous and life-changing encounters, but it's not all chance. It's not all improv. He meets people, and he meets them where they are. Vulnerability and reciprocity are really important to him. Every encounter leads somewhere, even to the White House, where UMS was honored with the National Medal of Arts in 2014. In his new book, Everybody In, Nobody Out, Ken shares some significant memories of a thrilling career in which he turned any manner of crisis into an opportunity. The title of the book is inspired by his mentor, the late Patrick Hayes, the legendary impresario who ran the Washington Performing Arts Society. The book is a celebration of community, Ann Arbor in this case, and the role the arts can play in enriching people's lives. When Ken stepped down from UMS, he was replaced by friend, colleague, and fellow French horn player Matthew Van Biesen. He was formerly president of the New York Philharmonic. And even though he's emeritus now, Ken's still presenting outdoors for neighbors and online with friends. In a word, whether it's Ann Arbor or the internet, Ken is all about community. Here he is remembering a thank you note he received from the president of the Berlin Philharmonic in 1999 that pretty much explains everything. Here's Ken. What we learned, and this is this is the telling point, is there were nine cities on that tour. Mm-hmm. Moscow, Bonn, Paris, London, New York, Washington, Boston, and Chicago, and Ann Arbor. <laughs> and we're the city they wanted to come back to. In, in Peter Regalbauer's email to me and his subsequent stuff, he was the president of the orchestra. And so Peter and I had built a relationship, but it was really in that email where we said we love Ann Arbor. Number one, you're the smallest town, but you deliver the largest audience. <laughs> and that hall is unbelievable with its acoustics. It's really fantastic. Secondly, you let us play music that we want to play, and you're not afraid of Schoenberg. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody else said, give us something easier. Then three, we looked out in the audience, and we saw students everywhere. We didn't see that anyplace else. Yeah. And fourth, your hospitality, not only what we see backstage, but that letter in German on the bed of every orchestra member when they enter their room, welcoming them on behalf of the community. We we don't get that anywhere else. And then finally, the way you took care of our conductor uh, with sensitivity and so on. And then he said, therefore, what what would you think if 18 of us came, spent two weeks playing chamber music with your students? Then later in the book, I've got, you know, when they came for the last time during my final year, I'm driving Sir Simon Rattle, this great conductor from the Willow Run Airport. And I say, Mm -hmm. Sir Simon, we're so 
thrilled to have this orchestra. And he chuckled and said, Ken, I don't know if you realize it, but, you know, when I arrived at this orchestra, it was around the time we we were planning our next North American tour. And they made it very clear to me. We start right at the top is Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor is a given. And he said, so that was made very clear to me by the members of the orchestra. (laughs) Perhaps it's because Ken is a musician himself that he connects so deeply with both the artists and the audiences. I went to Interlochen. On Sunday mornings, the brass choir would play for 15 minutes. And that inspired me as a 12-year-old to always want to be in a brass ensemble. So here at Michigan, as a graduate student, I organized the Goliard Brass Ensemble Mm -hmm. of six musicians. The Goliards were a band of roving students in 12th and 13th century Europe known for rioting and intemperance. (laughs) Not a bad way to describe the Michigan student of the late (laughs) 60s. (laughs) I mean, students absolutely are the heartbeat of this community. And though he hasn't been a student himself in some time, he still connects with them regularly. Here is a really touching story. It was the response of four students at the University of Michigan to the Pulse nightclub shooting. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, so that happened early on a Sunday morning in Orlando. Yes. A few hours later, a couple of Michigan students uh, go to sing in a choir. They're both gay men, and they say, we got to do something. Tuesday night, after getting this news Sunday morning, these two students with two others organized the Requiem for Orlando, a Mozart Requiem to be done at Hill Auditorium. And I was honored to sing in the choir. But as a professional presenter, to see what these kids were able to do, totally motivated by wanting to respond in a creative way, in the way that they knew how. Imagine 337 instrumentalists and singers, four soloists, speakers, including the president of the university, Jim Toy. Um, Aaron Dworkin, who was dean of the School of Music at the time, and 2,000 people in the audience. And when I talk about creating community, I mean, everybody was there who wanted to be. You, you had to be on your game as a, as a performer because you only, you only had one short rehearsal. Mm-hmm. But the magic in Hill Auditorium at that time, because we were all united in wanting to honor the 49 people killed that night in Orlando Mm -hmm. and to make a statement about our support for LGBT community. I'll never forget. I'll never forget that. Well, you've probably figured out by now that the people of Ann Arbor are essential to Ken's story. And as for that local community, he often engaged them well beyond the theater doors, like the time he introduced Italian soprano Cecilia Bartoli to some opera-loving barbers. I just love thinking about this was, you know, uh, on the principle that if you want to keep a secret, don't tell your hairdresser. Oh, yes. I love this story. <laughs> I'm getting my haircut from Bob Dascola. And at that time, it was a eight-seat barbershop on Liberty. <laughs> you know, I, I whispered to Bobby, look, man, I'm bringing an Italian soprano here in, in another year, but you can't tell a soul. <laughs> he crossed himself in front of the chair and said, count on me. And, of course, he told everybody, which is exactly what I wanted him to do. <laughs> And they were selling tickets out of the barbershop. When she came the next time, this is in the book, you know, I'm waiting, I'm waiting to pick her up at the Bell Tower Hotel. Yeah, going to the tailgate at the Natatorium. 
And uh, while I'm waiting, I called I called Bob and said, "Look, I, you're on the way to the natatorium. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna have Cecilia come and see you guys because she hasn't been to your shop. And it's Saturday morning. The place is packed. It's gonna be great." And then I called the Ann Arbor News and I said, if you think the big story in this town is the resignation of James Duderstad as president of the university, which had just happened the same week, I think you're wrong. The big story is about to unveil in 10 minutes. You better get a camera person up to the Descola Barbershop. When Chichilia comes, the place then is Jim Bob by that time. It got people off the street and everything to come on in. The Ann Arbor News guy was there, got a color photo. And you know how important front page above the fold, uh, you know, up above it said for more on the due to stat resignations, he paid two or something like that. But, and Bob Dascola right now, he's got, he's got a shrine to Cecilia in the shop he has right now. And, you know, um, one day I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sitting in the barber chair and the eight barbers all leave, all leave their, uh, you know, their chairs and they surround me. I said, what's this about? And they said, no self-respecting Italian barber can be in love with a woman without having a lock of her hair. I said, oh my God, you want me to get a lock of Cecilia's hair? He said, yes. Well, at the same time, the women, well, the, the, the members of the advisory committee were working on the cookbook, the Bravo cookbook, uh, which is a magnificent cookbook. And uh, they said, Ken, we, we, need, we need a recipe from Cecilia. <laughs> So the guys need a lock of her hair. The women in the, and they're doing the cookbook. So I fly to New York where Cecilia is giving a private home concert to raise money for classical action performing arts against AIDS. And I happen to be on the board of that organization. And I arrive early and Cecilia is there with her mother. That night I left with a lock of her hair in a little box and a potato gnocchi recipe that is now in the Bravo cookbook. Yum. I mean, that's the deal with Ken. He's always going for something extra, and he gets it. Something unexpected. When he brought the Royal Shakespeare Company to Ann Arbor, he blew people's minds. The Royal Shakespeare Company couldn't find anybody in England willing to sponsor or give significant funding towards the history, these early history plays that Shakespeare wrote. They, they were sort of snobs saying, oh, who cares about the early work of Shakespeare? Just amateur work. Oh, really? Well, uh, it's Henry VI, parts one, two, three, and Richard III brought together. So you, you, you would have a flow yeah. from one play to the next. So Michael Boyd, in his genius, he was the guy who was going to direct these plays, said, let's do all the, and the Henrys in one day. Each is three and a half hours long. So the first one, I think, was at 10 o'clock, the second at three, and then the third at eight. And was it cool that the man playing Henry VI was a black man? The first time a black man had been cast as an English king in the history of the Royal Shakespeare Company. His name was David O'Yellow-O. Anyway, Michael Boyd wins the Olivier for Best Director. In other words, equivalent to the Tony here for Best Director. Okay. And people couldn't get enough of it. <laughs> we were wondering, you know, that's that's... Folks, that's 10 and a half hours of theater in one day. Yeah. They were so energized because of the way it was staged. And, and you, 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 you just didn't know what to expect. And see, that's, you ain't going to get that in a movie, you know? <laughs> sure. 
But when a movie star comes to Ann Arbor, you might as well make it work for him. And that's what Ken did when Patrick Stewart was visiting, also with the Royal Shakespeare Company. And then, of course, you know, another live performance was when I said to uh, Patrick Stewart, Mr. Stewart, I want to offer you a leading role, center stage in the largest theater in the round. Are you interested? And he goes, yeah, what do you got in mind? I said, I want you to conduct the Michigan Marching Band at halftime. And the place, place went crazy. How wonderful was that? They designed an entire halftime show around the great, you know, the themes of the TV shows, Gilligan's Island and uh, <laughs> Dallas, you know, and Gunsmoke and stuff. And then finally, ladies and gentlemen, Captain John Luke Picard, and Starship <laughs> Enterprise, climbing the ladder here at Michigan Stadium. And then Carl Grapentine, the voice of Michigan Stadium, says, Captain, in two weeks we go to Columbus. What are your orders? And at that time, Ohio State was number one. We were number two in the country, in the national rankings. And Patrick Stewart looks up and says, boldly go forth and beat the Buckeyes. Make it so number one. And if you know Star Trek, that's the command the captain would say to his assistant, yeah. make it so number one. And then two weeks later, Bo died the day before, on the Friday before the game. We went down to Columbus and lost 42 to 39 in one of the great one of the great games. Okay, so that story has a sad ending. But here's another bow tale that Ken loves to tell. Now you're asking who loves bow, who, lo- who, who, who loved Michigan sports? Oh, yeah. Nadia Salerno Sonnenberg, 1988. I pick her up at the airport. She says, you know, Ken, I love, I love my sports. I love the Yankees and I love the Wolverines. I want to meet Bo. And I don't know if you know that artist, but, you know, leather pants and uh, you know, Italian, uh, feisty, fun violinist. Unfortunately, Bo was out of town, but Ken still hooked her up with the AD and some merch. So we got a photo of Nadia with Jack Weidenbach as he presents her a Michigan oh. ball cap, oh. a photo of Bo. And we get a photo, and this is the old stadium, you know, with the, the one press box with Michigan oh. Stadium up on it. Then this is the May Festival of 1988, and she gets three encore. Well, you know, she comes back three times, and she wears a ball cap, that Michigan ball cap. <laughs> each one. Uh, but then the, the other part of it, she was on the Tonight Show playing her violin, and when she opened the case on stage, there was the bow photo uh, in the in the case. To get a nod like that, very special. But a moment that really touched Ken was receiving a mention in the New York Times obituary of alumnus Gene Grant, a prominent New York real estate developer who supported the arts and Michigan. So I went to talk to Eugene Grant in his Mm mid-90s. Just a lovely, lovely man. I'd love you to think about making it possible for your orchestra here in New York to come to your university for a residency. He gave us a million dollars. And he's getting old. And he was on oxygen. He brought two nurses with him. And uh, it was determined. We had a big dinner for him on the Hill stage. He came Thursday, but it would have to leave Friday night. It was just a sense, I, I can't mm-hmm. stay for the, for the game. But the band does a rehearsal at Michigan Stadium uh, um, the Friday night before. And they let, they let people in. So there are a couple of thousand people in the stands, but there were over a thousand on the floor of Michigan Stadium, wow. singers and the alumni band and stuff. So I was able to get a mic just to explain to people and introduce Gene Grant to everybody. Uh, he was so 
He's a humble man, but yeah. he was so grateful for that opportunity to be able to share his orchestra with his school. Mm-hmm. He died um, two, three years later. He quotes from his obituary in the New York Times. A high point in his long life was bringing the New York Philharmonic to the University of Michigan, where it played the Ode to Joy with the U.M. marching band in the big house. <laughs> now, interestingly, after all the artists he's booked and presented over the years, when you ask him about a favorite performance, he gives this for an answer. Man, you got me thinking about, you know, those peak experiences yeah. of live performance. And, you know, some for me are when I was actually performing. Okay. Um, it's uh, Bach's birthday, 300th birthday, uh-huh. March the 21st, 1985. And here's a ragtag group, four buses full of Americans who had been invited to perform at the Leipzig Gewandhaus as part of the Bach tricentenary. You know, the Leipzig Gewandhaus Orchestra, the uh, great orchestra from Stuttgart, the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields. And our our group from Washington, D.C., I mean, really good, called the Washington Bach Consort. The night before we came into East Germany, I'd gone to a duplicating place. And in Xerox, the Bach Chorale break forth, O beauteous heavenly light. And I love to sing. And there's nothing like four-part harmony in chorales, okay? And we're trying to get to Eisenach, which is Bach's birthplace, for the big 10 o'clock celebration and we're late we are our four buses arrive just as the official thing is over and everybody's leaving now i want you to imagine here are 40 professional singers 35 instrumentalists and the rest of the 105 of us i guess were family friends and so i i passed around the music 180 people standing around the statue of Bach. He's the reason we have the group. He's the reason we're over there, okay? And if you know the words at the beginning of this, break forth, O beauteous heavenly light. We start to sing, and the sun pops down from the the hills around Eisenach. As soon as we say, break forth, O beauteous heavenly light, we got through the first verse and then couldn't sing anymore because we were all so emotionally wrapped up in that moment. I'll never forget it. Everything came together there. And that's, see, that's the other thing. The live performance is about creating community. Mm-hmm. Ken says live music may be about creating community, but even within the crisis of this pandemic, he still finds a way to connect with his passion. More people than ever are listening to the Berlin Philharmonic. You know, they figured out the technology, but it's certainly one of the great orchestras of the world. You know, they're finding a way to, to actually make money now and keep, keep the music coming. Uh, you know, and the technology is improving so that what you're hearing mm-hmm. and what you're seeing is really spectacular. I'm a French horn player. There's a woman named Sarah Willis. She's British, but plays with the Berlin Philharmonic. She's just got the personality to, to bring together the horn players of the world you know, and does these, these horn hangouts. I'm writing in from, you know, from Ann Arbor, greetings from Ann Arbor and greetings from Tanzania and so, stuff like that. And it's just been magical because we've all been staying connected. 
Well, you have to love a person who describes a Zoom encounter as magical. One thing you learn by connecting with Ken is that when you build a global community of friends and professional contacts based on mutual trust and respect, you can live your life in total joy with the security that no matter what challenge, tragedy, or opportunity arises in your life, you have a friend with the connections, the resources, and the talent to help you. And they will. And he'll share, as he did for 30 years at UMS. All right, you can find Listen in Michigan at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and more. Episodes also live at michigantoday.umich.edu under the podcast tab. Thanks so much for listening. Catch you next time. And as always, go blue.